Well, good morning, 9 o'clock. <laughs> Great to see you. Uh, excited to be with you today. Uh, any of you here at 9 o'clock, you normally come at 11, but because of the Super Bowl, you're here today. Can I see your hands? All right, great. Uh, welcome to the early side of Sunday. Uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and so glad you're here with us. We're going to be continuing this series uh, that we've been in the last few weeks on priorities. And so if you're brand new, special welcome. But inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out because that will help you follow along. And if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm awake, ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. Uh, you missed your coffee? Okay, remember, you know, one bag buys, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> let's pray. God, we're just so thankful to be here and for, uh, to continue this journey that we're on, talking about priorities, what it looks like to live by design, not by default. We're excited, God, because today we get to move into just really practical steps of how to design our life so that we live this life you've called us to live, this life you've designed for us before time began. And so, God, we pray that you'd be with us, give us courage, give us insight. We pray your spirit would speak personally to us by name. We know where to start, that we don't get overwhelmed, that we just can have your perspective on this. We pray in your name. Uh, amen. Well, today we are continuing this series we started a few weeks ago. It's called Priorities, the Path of Life. And for those of you who are new, uh, this is a series based on uh, one of the most common metaphors that the Bible uses to describe our lives. It's, it's the metaphor of journey. And so uh, the Bible often compares our life to a journey. It says there are certain paths that lead to freedom. There are certain paths that lead to fulfillment, that lead to what the Bible would call life, life to the full. And then there are other paths that lead to frustration, pain, uh, regret, heartache, what the Bible would call death. And so the message is choose wisely because the path that you're on will lead you to its appointed destination, whether you realize where it's leading or not. And so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the first two steps of this journey. And the first step was called pursue. And we said that if we want to walk the path to life, the first step is to pursue God as our top priority in life. That we're created for him, we're designed for him, and only when we're living for him as our top priority to catch us to, to know him, and then to love him, and to please him in all things, does the rest of our universe, the rest of our priorities, kind of come into alignment as we revolve around the sun uh, in our lives, right? So that's step number one, pursue. Second step was to listen, that we learned that once we come to Jesus and we've made him number one and we, so we want to live for you, that he wants to speak, he wants to lead, he's got a vision for our life, and so uh, that we need to learn to listen and follow the leading of his spirit through his word, through his spirit to guide us in this path to life. And so today we come to the third and the most practical of, uh, of, of all the steps so far, and that's design. That once we've uh, put him at the center, once we learn to listen and follow, now we want to come under his leadership as our king, as our Lord, and say, hey, what's your vision for our life? And let's design out that life that you've called us to live. And so uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Design the Steps. So I'm going to give you today just very five, uh, five very simple, uh, practical steps. They're not necessarily easy. Uh, you may remember the first week of this series, I told you that what we can do here always at our weekend services is we can point out the path to life. But you're the ones who are going to have to go home and figure this out and what that looks like and put it in uh, implementation. And that's really true uh, for today. As we talk about designing a life, we don't have time to design a life here. We have time here to tell you how to design a life. The real work's going to depend on you, what happens after you leave, as you go home in the coming weeks. So I'm excited. The other thing I'd say is that uh, I don't want you to get overwhelmed today. Uh, if you're going to design a life, that's a lot, isn't it? 
We're going to talk about a lot of things. It's not like you go home and go to Starbucks, you stop on the way, back of a napkin. Okay, got it. Got my life designed. That, uh, you know, some of you, I mean, some of you, that's the way you are doing your life. It's not coming out so well. So um, we wanted to design a life. It's going to take a little bit more than that. Uh, it's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some time. But I don't want you to get overwhelmed. You don't have to do this all at once. Um, you, that, uh, the, the, you can take some time. Think about this. We'll go as we go through. So let's jump in. The first step to you know, design a life is to discover your destinations. Now, anytime you take a trip, um, if it's a trip of any length, you're probably going to plan it out to some degree. Like, I, I love doing these long motorcycle trips, as you know. And, uh, and, and those are, like, probably the least planned of, you know, your vacations. I mean, like, I, but, but still, even so, uh, I have some destinations. Like, this last trip I took this summer, it was like I knew I wanted to hit the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, I didn't know I'd hit it at the end of 24 hours, but I, but, uh, I did know I wanted to get the Olympic Peninsula up in Washington. Um, I didn't know that uh, I did know that I wanted to go to uh, to uh, to Vancouver in British Columbia. I knew that. I knew I wanted to visit a friend in Spokane. I knew I wanted to visit uh, my sister in Bozeman, Montana. Right. So I had some destinations in mind. Now, here's the point: if you don't know where you're going, it's really hard to decide how to get there. And so often in our lives, we've just never really thought through this. If I were to ask you, what are the destinations in the key areas of your life? And I'm going to give you eight right now, all right? And you can say, you can argue there's nine, there's ten, uh, there's four, you know, whatever. But I want to give you uh, eight key destinations uh, that you need to think through. And that's why I said, don't be overwhelmed. You don't have to do this all today. But let me give you eight areas of your life I think you need to think through in terms of what do you want out of your life. Uh, the first one would be your relationship with God. You know, what kind of relationship with God do you want? Uh, number two would be, I'm calling it your personal health. But by that, I don't mean just your physical health. I mean your emotional, psychological, uh, kind, of, kind of relational, spiritual health, who you are as a person. Uh, third area, I would put, if you're married, it's your marriage. If you're not married uh, and you would like to be married someday, it becomes your dating life. Uh, a fourth area would be your kids. For some of you, that you may have grandkids, but put kids in there. A fifth area would be your career. A sixth area would be your life calling. We're talking about, you know, the Bible says that you've been chosen before time as a follower of Jesus to play an important role in this epic vision, to bring all of creation under the leadership of its true king, healed and restored, King Jesus. And so each of us has been uniquely gifted for that. We'll talk about that later in this series. But what is your calling? What's your plan for your calling? Uh, a next category would be friends and family. What kind of friendships do you want to have? Your extended family. What kind of relationships do you want to have? Uh, a last one will be your finances. What's your vision for your future in terms of your finances? And so, uh, so the, the reality is, is that many of us have never really thought of that. Like if you're married, you say, what's your goal for your marriage? I want to have a good marriage. All right. So what's that look like? You know, do you not beat your wife? That's good. That's good. All right. Okay, is that it? You know, uh, we don't want to get a divorce. Okay. Is that good if you go through your whole marriage and... You have a lousy marriage, you don't get a boy. Is that good? Right? What is a good marriage? You say, I want to have a healthy family. Well, can you define for me what that looks like? What will it look like? How will I know when you achieved it? How will you know if you achieved it? Um, you say, well, I want a close relationship with God. Well, what will that look like? What will that feel like? Uh, I, I, want a, I want a good career. What's a good career look like? And many times we've never even really thought what the destinations look like. 
And as a result, if you're not clear on where you want to go, then you're not going to know how to get there, right? It's kind of like the Alice in Wonderland. Remember that discussion with the cat where she says, which way should I go? And he says, well, that depends. Where are you going? She says, I don't know. He says, well, then any way will do, right? <laughs> so uh, if you don't know where you're going, uh, it, you're not going to know the paths to get you there, all right? So uh, years ago, um, about uh, back in the late 80s, 1989, a very famous book was written. I highly recommend it. It's a very book about intentional living called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Some of you remember that by Steve Co- Stephen Covey. And I put a quote there on your note sheet. He says, uh, one of his chapters, that was one of my favorite chapters, was called Begin with the End in Mind. Like, be clear where you're going in life, and then you can make, once you're clear on that, you can make your decisions today. He says, uh, to begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. It means to know where you're going so that you can better understand where you are now, and so the steps you take are always in the right direction. It's incredibly easy to get caught up in the activity trap. Ever been there? (laughs) You're running a million miles an hour, but you're not sure where. In the busyness of life to work harder and harder at climbing the ladder of success, and I think in any area of life, right, to discover it's leaning against the wrong wall. It's possible to be busy, very busy, without being effective. How different our lives are when we, we really know that what is deeply important to us and, ke- and we're keeping that picture in mind, we manage ourselves each day to be and to do what really matters most. If the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. Right? And so, so where are your destinations? Now, as a follower of Jesus, this is not something you figure out just on your own. Uh, as a follower of Jesus, this is why we said step number one is pursue God. We got to be clear on, on what our priority is. We're going to know him, love him, please him in every area. These eight areas of our life. We want to please him. Uh, secondly, we have to learn to listen and follow. One of the things you'll learn as you study the life of Jesus always blows me away how even Jesus did not choose his own destinations. He discovered his destinations, which is a very different thing. He was always saying things like, my teaching is not my own. The works that I'm doing are not my own. What the Father shows me, I will do. One of my favorite statements there on your note sheet is in chapter 6 of John. And Jesus says, I have have come down uh, from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, I don't have my own vision for my life. It's like I'm not here to just kind of choose my own destinations and say, God, will you bless me? He was here to say, God, what's your vision for my life? What is your calling of my life? And then to, with the Father, cooperate in designing a plan to get there. And so that's what our goal is as well. Now, here's where the thing is. This will take considerable time. I may mention this later, but for example, this year, I wanted to think through my life uh, for 2016. And so I rode my motorcycle by myself. Kind of this was a by myself trip. Uh, And and I went to uh, San Luis Obispo, uh, rented an Airbnb for three or four nights. And uh, it was just there to be with God and to think about this year and to think about uh, the last year. And where I'd come and what we'd be, where we'd been as a church, what we've been learning as a church, my own personal life. What are my goals for 2016? I took some vacation, so I just want to get away. Now, you don't have to do it like this. The point is, it takes some time. And I spent many hours every day just kind of thinking through my life and thinking through the different 
areas of my life. What do I want to see happen? God, what do you want to see happen? And beginning to get down some very specific destinations in my mind. This is where I want to go. And then to begin to think through how do you get there. And so it's going to take some time. Now, here's the thing I would say to you as followers of Jesus, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, life principle here. If you're a follower of Jesus and I had my way with your life, which I often wish I did, but (laughs) if I had my way with your life, that here would be the number one thing in terms of living a life by design and not by default. Number one is to make it a habit in your life to schedule in some regular alone time for you to think and to pray and to listen and to process. It is extremely difficult, perhaps impossible, to live a life by design and not by default if you never have time to slow down and think about your life. Uh, I describe this time in my life, it's the island of tranquility in the sea of chaos. Like you need a command center from which you get away and you withdraw from your life and you say, where am I going? What am I doing? What do I want most in life? And I want you to catch this. This is more than like a daily quiet time. I think often when I talk to Christians about this, they think in terms of, okay, i got to read through the Bible in a year and I'm going to you know, pray for 15 minutes and hit my prayer request and that's what you're saying. And that's all great stuff. I mean, we want to be reading the word. We want to be listening to his spirit. We want to be processing life and talking with God. But this is a time where we're getting in the presence of God and we're really thinking with him, the Latin phrase, coram Deo, in the presence of God. We're thinking through our life. We're discussing our life. We're thinking through destinations. And once we get clear on that, this is a time in our day or in our week, we evaluate, are we on track? This is where I've said I'm going to go. This is what I said is most important. Here's I've written it down. Is this the life I'm living before I got on track? On your note sheet, I, I put a quote. I mentioned this book a couple weeks ago. I uh, highly recommend it as a companion study for the series called The Power of Full Engagement by two high-level, top-level consultants who uh, started out working with uh, uh, world-class athletes. If I were to name them, you'd recognize them. Um, that have tried to help them achieve peak performance in athletics. And in the process, they learned some powerful principles about peak performance in life, living life to the full. And one of the things that they put on there is they said, uh, they said clarifying purpose, you know, deciding your purpose in life, your destinations, what I'd call it. Clarifying purpose takes time. It takes quiet, uninterrupted time, which is something that many of us simply <coughs> feel we do not have. We are forever rushing from one obligation to the next without any larger sense of direction. So long as we skim across the surface of our lives at high speeds, it's impossible to dig down more deeply. So when clients come through our program, one of our aims is to help them slow down, to put aside their preoccupations and the pressing demands for long enough to step back and take a look at the choices they are making. I would say the paths that they're taking. It's not coincidence that every enduring spiritual tradition, and these are not believers as far as I know, but they said it's not coincidence that every enduring spiritual tradition has emphasized practices such as prayer, retreat, contemplation, and meditation, all means by which to quietly connect with and revisit what matters most. All right, so first step, if you want to live a life by design, now you might say, Michael, I don't want to live a life by design. 
I just like living haphazardly. I just like being surprised. Uh, my goal in life is to be constantly surprised. And I hope when I get to the end, I'm all used up. And uh, I don't really care where I end up in life uh, as long as I'm surprised. Well, great. You don't need this. But if you want to live a life that says, you know what, you get to the end of your life and you look back and say, that was a life well lived. I like the paths that I've chosen. I like the decisions I've made. I like the marriage and the family I built. I love the career that I had. I made a difference for the kingdom. God blessed me financially, and I was faithful with that. If you want a life like that, you want the blessed life, then it takes some time to think about it. You have to spend some time designing and discovering your destinations. Now, number two. Before we go on, look at Proverbs 14. I love what the way Proverbs puts this. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. In other words, what paths are you on? Where does that path lead? Is that where you want to go? Is that where you want to end up? The wisdom of the prudent is they give thought to the paths that they're on. Hey, number two. Now, number two, it's very tempting to skip this step. And some of you are going to be extremely, very tempted to skip it. In fact, I'm going to tell you, and you're still going to skip it. Because you're going to say, you're like, a, you're an activator person. You're a, you're a person that's like, uh, yeah, I don't need to know why. I just need to set my sight on things and then just get going. So uh, I'll spend some time thinking where I want to go, and then boom, I'll figure it out as I go. And uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Because if you don't know why you want to go somewhere, that when the challenges come, and any journey is going to have a challenge, there are going to be mountains to scale, there's going to be rivers to ford, there's going to be hot deserts to endure. If you are not clear not only where you want to go, but catch this, why you want to go there, and you're in touch with the reasons. What will happen if I reach this destination? What will life be like? And on the other side, what will happen if I don't? If you're not clear what's at stake in reaching your destination, you will give up or be distracted on the way. You know, we've all read stories, amazing stories, amazing adventures, kind of epic accomplishments by someone who had to get to the capital city in time to warn them that war was coming. They knew what was at stake. They had to follow through and, and keep this job in order to keep, they knew their family would fall apart if they don't. If you're not clear on what's at stake, then it will undercut your motivation and you'll get distracted. So number two goes like this. Explore your motivations. You have to know why these destinations are so important to you, what it's going to cost if you, if you don't make it, what it's going to mean if you do. So let me just give you an example. Throughout this message today, I'll be giving you examples. These examples, catch this, are simply examples. So in other words, I'm going to give you an example. In marriage, it could be the same example. I could give you one in finance or one in career or your relationship with God or your parenting. Okay, so I don't have time to everyone give you eight examples. So I'm just going to give you one example in several of these the principles apply across the board, right? So let's, let's just say that you're married, right? And, uh, and so one of your goals is to create a, uh, a kind of a deep and connected and life-giving marriage, 
All right? And so I've asked you, okay, so can you define for me what that looks like? That's great. You want to have a good marriage, and we've already established it's more than not beating your wife or not the wife not having an affair. We've, okay, we've, we've designed that. Okay. okay, but what does a good, healthy, life-giving marriage look like? Can, can you define that? And so you've invested the time to do that. You've thought through, yeah, this is the, when I get home and I walk through the door, this is the feelings we'll have. Uh, this is what we'll feel about. This is in our free time. This is what we'll enjoy doing together. When we have conflict, this is how we will resolve it. When we uh, communicate, this will be how we communicate. And you've defined this is what for us would be a great marriage. Great. You've done the hard work. Good. Okay, so now the next step is to say why is that important to create a great marriage? Because I can tell you if you want to create a great marriage, it's going to cost you something. You are going to have to invest significant time. You are going to have to learn to die to yourself. You may have to expend significant money in counseling. Not everyone will, but you may have to spend a lot of money out in counseling. There's going to be some, so you may have to read books. You may have to talk to other couples that have marriages you admire and say, how do you do it? Uh, there, if you want a great marriage, you can't just say, I want a great marriage next. Uh, you're gonna, so, so it's going to cost you something, and so it's important you get in touch with what's at stake if we achieve a great marriage, what will life be like, and even more important, what will be life, life will be like if we continue on our current path and have a lousy marriage. You need to get clear on that. And so you always say, okay, so here's what life will be like, is that it'll be a joy to be together, that we will really enjoy each other's companionship. We'll look forward to seeing each other at the end of every day. We will share life together. We'll have common goals together. We will work together as a team. We may be in ministry, do some ministry together, or if not, we'll support each other in ministry. We'll impact lives for the kingdom because when they look at our marriage, they will see a marriage that works, and they'll want to know what is it about you. And we can share about the God who's worked in us and about the Jesus who restores relationships, and we'll have a chance to, to share about Jesus through that. We'll be able, our kids will see a great model. And so as they grow up, they will want to be married. They will see marriage as a good thing. And so when they get older and all their friends are just living together and down on marriage, they're going to say, no, I want to get married. And so once they get married, they're going to have a much higher chance of staying married because they've seen a marriage that has fought through the hard times and made it work and it's possible. And so therefore, our grandkids won't be split up between two households. Our kids won't go through a divorce and there's a much higher chance our grandkids will come to Jesus in that sort of setting where they're pursuing God. And so that's what's at stake by pursuing a great marriage. Okay, let's look through the other, the lens. What happens if we don't fix our marriage? What happens if we continue our down where downhill descent right now? Well, what's going to happen? Well, well, we'll get more disengaged over time. Anger will build up over time. Hostility will increase, whether it's expressed outwardly, violently, or it's passive-aggressive. There's sarcasm and undercuts. Our, our kids will grow up in a family where there's tension in the house. We, uh, they, they will, as they grow up, they will not be sure if they want to get married or not. They may experiment with alternate type living situations because of what they've seen. 
that uh, if we continue on this path, we could even get uh, so disengaged that even though we know the Bible says we shouldn't, we disobey, we get a divorce. Then now it's we've blown our testimony before the onlooking world. We said that Jesus is the answer to the world. He has come to bring peace with God and peace with one another, but we can't even have peace in our family. And so we've invalidated our whole witness for Jesus. And uh, our kids are going to look at that. And we've told them to pursue God as their top priority, but it hasn't worked out for us. So it might have spiritual impact on them. Good chance if they do get married, they'll have much higher chance of getting divorced. Our grandkids would be much higher chance of living apart and not a healthy family situation. And we will lose our ability as parents to have healthy impact and spiritual influence on the kids because they're so broken up. Their finances are crazy. Uh, they're barely sleeping. By. They might move back with us. That's what's at stake. Now, can you help, do you understand, once you start, catch this, writing down on paper where the path leads, do you understand how this can begin to fuel your motivation during the hard times? Hey, that when someone says to you, you need to get some counsel, you guys are in serious trouble, then instead of saying, well, we can't afford that, you start thinking, we can't afford not that. This is going to be a lot cheaper than a divorce, trust me. Right? You see what I'm saying? It's going gonna, it's gonna to motivate you all the way along. And so you have to get clear on your motivations. And what I've said for marriage, it applies in every area of life. Think through your finances. Think through your relationship with God. Think through your friendships. You can just go on through your career. Okay, so number two, to explore your motivations and be sure to write them down. Now, number three, the third step is uh, the really practical step. All you practical people are getting back on board now. <laughs> it's called chart your course. Now, this is where we, we actually begin to make plans of how we're going to reach our destination. So we've, we've gotten clear on where we want to go. We've defined that. We've gotten in touch with our motivations. Now we're going to say, okay, so what are the steps to getting there? What are the practical steps? And, of course, it's going to vary from person to person and situation to situation. But uh, let's, let's take an example of, uh, let's say, let's move on to another example. Let's say that your, your desire is to create a healthy, uh, connected, loving, supportive, uh, thriving family. That that's your, your goal, right? And so you say, okay, so what are the steps to get there? And you say, well... Uh, I, I think that uh, in our situation, we both grew up in um, dysfunctional homes. We've never really seen it modeled. So we're going to have to learn more what a functional family looks like. If we just depend on our past and uh, kind of duplicate what we, was happened with, with us growing up, we're going to have a mess. So we're going to need to learn. We're going to learn. So how are we going to do that? Well, maybe we could read some books. We could go to a seminar. We could watch some videos. We could go interview some couples that we really value the way they do their family. Great. So we're going to have to learn something. We may say, you know, there are certain areas or hot spots in our, our family we know we're going to have to change. We know we're going to change some schedules. Maybe we read, and a lot of you know this, but research has shown that if you want to have a healthy family, one of the most important and simplest things to do in terms of strategy is to start sharing family dinners. Like, you may not know that, but, but if you've done research in this, you'll know it's one of the most simple things you do. You say, you just, we're going to have on a regular basis family dinners. And that just tricks, and, and by a family dinner, I don't mean um, like this. <laughs> that means a basket goes in the corner for all cell phones or electronic devices during dinner, right? Yeah. 
So we're going to talk with one another. Yes. It's maybe a little weird, but uh, it'll come back. It's kind of like typing, right? So, uh, so we, we turn the phone, cell phones off. We put anything off. Any else that beeps, we put it in the basket. I call it the beep basket, right? Anyone picks it up, uh, they have to do all the dishes uh, for the dinner. All right, so, so, you, so, so now we're going to be together. And what research has shown is that that one single habit of just sharing a meal together on a regular basis as a family, it triggers all kinds of habits. It triggers all kinds of, of other things in a family, that families build stronger bonds. They start relating. They start talking. They start watching less TV. These kids start doing better in school. It's just more well-adjusted kids, right? So you must say that you, you say, you know what, we... Yeah, we are disconnected. We're running 100 miles an hour. So we're going to do that. We're going to have four nights a week or whatever it is. We're going to have family dinners. You might say uh, maybe it's a mom or the dad says, you know what? I haven't made my kids uh, uh, events at school. That made him a priority. I'm going to start making a priority. I'm going to start showing up at his games or her games or her recital or whatever it is. Uh, we're going to start making that change. Okay, great. We're going to write that down. We're going to uh, look at our communication patterns. And we're going to say, you know what? As a family, we don't do conflict well. We don't talk through conflict. We don't process through conflict. We don't know how to do that. And so uh, we decide that uh, we're going to make that a priority. We're going to learn how to do conflict well. We're going to learn how to share our hearts. We don't know how to talk. Maybe you're a dad, and you don't know how to talk to your son. You don't know how to talk to your daughter. And you can say, well, I'm going to figure that out. I'm going to figure out how to do that. I want to have heart-to-heart conversations. I don't want to just live in the same house and just be the dad who brings them the paycheck. I want to know my daughter's world. I want to know my son's world. I want to connect with them emotionally uh, to build strong uh, kind of connections in our family. And so whatever it is, you kind of come up with your plan, right? So you, you kind of write down, here are the steps that I think we need to do to, to take that. Now, once you write down those steps, and this is a critical part of this charting your course, you need to schedule them in your calendar. And the reason that you need to schedule them in your calendar is because until you do, they are not a priority, they are an intention. And remember what we learned in the series, one of our five basic uh, principles of the path, the first two weeks we talked about, is that our priorities are revealed by our choices, not by our intentions. Until you put something in the calendar, it is a, so until it's got a deadline, it is not a priority, it's an intention. You see, the, the calendar is one of your greatest friends. And I want you to think of it like that. You probably think of it as your enemy. I do too. Uh, but actually, counterintuitively, the calendar is our friend for a couple reasons. Number one, your calendar will never lie to you. It will tell you the truth about your priorities. You may want to live in denial and say, this is my priority. Your calendar will say, no, it isn't. Look at how you spend your time. So your calendar will help you be honest with yourself about what's truly most important. But even more important than that, your calendar will force you to make trade-offs. Now remember, one of our five principles of the path is that if you want new priorities, you have to embrace the reality of trade-offs. It's very hard to do that because deep inside, we all believe that we can do it all. 
We, we don't believe you have to choose. We believe if you multitask well, you can do it all. And because of that, the most important priorities in our life get slighted. And we don't reach our desired destinations. Like, let me give you an example. Um, let's say that I come to you as a follower of Jesus. Um, you're a, a family. You have uh, three kids from preschool to high school. And uh, you come to me and say, Michael, I would love to talk with you about this series and priorities. And we're trying to figure out our family priorities. Could you help us think that through? And how we can achieve that? And I say, well, sure. Uh, let me ask you, can I, like, start, start this out. What are your top priorities? And say, well, honestly, uh, we, we love Jesus. We do. We, we have our top priority in life. We want to know him and we want to please him. We, we believe that he is the path to life and that only when we put God first does the rest of life really work. And we, we totally believe that. And so for our kids... We want them to grow up loving Jesus. That's, you know, more than what they do for a career, uh, more than how much money they make or where they live. And I, what we care, number one, is that they really, we pass on the faith and they, they, they connect with Jesus in a powerful way and that they have truly a firsthand relationship. It's great. What's number two? Well, our, our, second, our second is that we want to have a close-knit family. Uh, neither one of us had a close-knit uh, family growing up and we want to be close-knit. We want to love one another. We want to support one another. Uh, we, we understand these are the one relationship that's going to last for the rest of our life, and so we want to really invest in that. Great. So what else is? And so you start listing some other ones. We want our kids to do well in school. We, uh, we want them to excel there. We want to expose them to lots of extracurricular activities so they can find kind of whatever niche is, is best for them. Uh, we would love if uh, our kids like sports to, to help them get a scholarship, maybe through that in college. We, we, we want them to, uh, we want to be socially uh, intelligent, kind of emotional intelligent people. We want to have healthy relationships. I'm, great. Okay, great. So so then you, you list these out. So then the next question I would ask you is that, okay, so um, what are you going to do when those priorities for your kids collide? And you say, what do you mean? So you've kind of assumed that you can have them all. Kind of assume that I can achieve all of these. If I manage our time well, I can do them all. Let me tell you as a pastor, here's what I know. I know that when you're raising kids... The most important thing for you is to connect closely with them emotionally. Because the reality is there's, come a, there's going to come a day when they're not going to listen to you as much. And when that day comes, you want your voice in their head. Right? In a good sense, in a positive sense. You, you want your love and affection and that really, you want them to, that voice of wisdom to be in their head when that day comes. When they stop listening to you and they start listening to friends, you want your voice in their head. And the best way to do that is connect with them emotionally when they're young. And so you want to do that. Now, let me tell you, when they get to middle school, you're going to start losing influence. And what's going to happen is that the key influences in their life for good are going to be older adults, like youth group leaders, youth pastors. They're going to be the cool people that they look to now as they begin to separate from you. And so what I know as an adult, as a pastor, if you want to raise healthy kids loving Jesus, there's no guarantees, but you want to raise happy kids loving Jesus, what I know is invest in them well when they're young, establish a pattern of regular church attendance at a church that they love. If you take them to church, they hate. That's not a good idea. <laughs> Find a church that they love going to church. Right? 
uh, and make that a top priority. You don't want your kids ever waking up saying, are we going to church this weekend? Your kids say that, you're on the wrong path. Right? It should be like a non-negotiable. This is like, young kids are, hey, am I going to school today? <laughs> Duh. Right? Hey, do I have to brush my teeth today? No, nah, take the day off. You know, it's like, no, no. Like church should be in that category, right? And so you want to invest in that. And then as they get older, you want to make sure that they are deeply involved in their youth group. You want to make sure that they are connecting in their small group. You want to make that a top priority. In their life. Well, what about a family? So your number two thing was family. Okay, so you're going to connect with them when they're young. How do you do that? It's spelled four letters. It's a four-letter word. T-I-M-E. You have got to invest in time. You may have a little busy life. You have to figure this out. In our life growing up, uh, I was very busy as a pastor, going to grad school, uh, very busy. One of the ways we did it, every Saturday we had a big fun thing. You know, it was different every week. And by big and fun, it might be Dairy Queen, right? But, but it's like something that to the eyes of a four-year-old is big and fun. It might be flying kites. It might be going to the wild animal park. It might be something. But, but we're going to have something. So it's connecting. It's connecting on a daily. I knew as a dad coming in, the first 15 minutes home of my I was exhausted. Been up since 5 in the morning, driven to San Diego, going to seminary, come back, work a full day, come home at 6, 7 o'clock at night. I knew the most important time of my day were those first 15 minutes walking in the door. Those four-year-olds don't have the ability to say, I'll catch you in two hours. They live right now. And I learned that, hey, it was those first 15 minutes. You get on the ground. You wrestle with them. You connect with them. You love on them. And about 15 minutes in, okay, good, Dad, we're good. We'll see you later. Right? So you learn how to connect when they're young. You connect at that level. And then as, they, as you get older, then you, spell, you invest those times in them. You have the conversations with them. You build into their life. One of the most important things, like I said, is, for example, family dinners. All right? Okay, so we've already said that if we want to create number our first two priorities, we're going to make sure that church and youth group are top priority, and we're going to connect emotionally as a family time. We're going to invest this time. Now, here's the question. What happens when the rest of your priorities collide with that? I'll tell you what happens in most, even Christian families today. Is when other priorities start colliding, when academics start colliding, when sports start colliding, when karate starts colliding, when music starts colliding, we start, hey, I can't be at church because we're on this traveling team. I can't have my kids Wednesday night because their studies are so, so, uh, They have so much homework, they won't get into the right school. We start taking the things that we said were three, four, five, and six, we start putting them at the top. And then when our kids grow older, and they no longer want to be with us, and they no longer want to follow Jesus, we wonder, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Our calendar told them all along what our top priorities were. And it wasn't Jesus And it wasn't family, it was success in life spelled out by what school you go to, what grades you are, whether you get a scholarship to this sport in college. We have told them by our calendars their whole life what is most important. And now they are doing exactly what we've trained them to do. So as you look in your life, the calendar is your friend. 
You've got to sit back and say, what will it take to get from point A to B? If this is truly my destination, what's it going to be? Let me give you just a quick example from my own life. That week between New Year's and, I mean, between Christmas and New Year's, one of my goals for this year was to, was to build, uh, I think I, I put it like this, to invest deeply in my family or to invest time in my family to build deep and life-giving relationships. Talk about my immediate family. And so then I had to say, well, what will that take? I'm a very busy guy. I'm sure you are too. I'm a very busy guy. Lots of responsibilities. And here's what I know. If I don't put it in the calendar, other things will squeeze it out. Not bad things, good things. Good things will become enemies of the best things. And so for me, I had to sit down and say, what does a good relationship with my mom look like? And what am I going to do to achieve that? What does a good relationship with my wife look like? What does a healthy relationship with my grown kids and my grandkids look like? And out of that came a plan. I had to say, okay, it looks like date nights. It looks like vacations. It looks like these kinds of breakfasts. It looks like these kinds of phone calls. These are the practical steps if I want to achieve that, if I want to reach that destination. And then I have to put it in my calendar before everything else. Because if I don't, good things will come. Ministry opportunities will come. Speaking opportunities will come. You will come. You'll want to say, can we have you over for dinner? I would love to come over for dinner. But what I have to realize, if I have dinner with you, it misses having dinner with my wife. And now a good has become the enemy of the best. And so the wisdom of the wise is to give careful thought to their ways. Think through where you want to go, what it's going to take to get there, put it in your calendar, and then learn to make the difficult decisions of saying no to anything that gets in the way of your top priorities. One of the hardest things to do, but one of the most important. Now, number four. Number four and number five will both go faster, but um, they're equally important. And number four will be very tempting to ignore this one, to skip this one, to think you don't need it, and the end result is you will fail. So, number four. <laughs> Other than that, it's, it's no problem. Uh, number four is to track your progress. You'll notice that throughout this, these steps, I've encouraged you, challenged you, told you, commanded you, uh, that you need to write these things down. Write down your destinations. Write down your motivations. Write down your, 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 the path you're going to take, the steps you're going to take. Why did I say that? The reason is, as human beings, we have incredibly short-term memories. And it's very easy to forget not only where you're going, but why you want to go there and how you're going to get there. It's really easy. And when you first write it down, you think, I could never forget this. But the reality is you will. So if you don't pull out your roadmap from time to time to see where you are, where you've been, where you're coming, where you're going, how you're getting there, you will forget. And other things will come in. And at first, it's just as simple as, yeah, well, I'm going to skip this date night because of that. Or it's just, I won't make this phone call because of that. Or we won't, yeah, okay, that's all right. We'll make that up. And after about 
couple months of that, you've completely forgotten where you've wanted to go because you've taken all these side trips that have been fascinating fun, but not getting you where you want to go. And so you need to, on a regular basis, pull this out. I would say at least a couple times a month, you need to pull out your plan. Say, are we on track? Think it through. Make it part of your time with God. Make it part of that time. Where are we going? Maybe you need to make some mid-course directions. You say, this is where I thought the steps we needed to take, but as we go along, I'm praying about it, and God's bringing some people in my life. I'm getting smarter on this. I need to make these steps. That this, I'm going to cross out this step. This is the next step. You know, what is the next step that you need to take to get to your goal? When you first start off, often in life it's like, this is a little fuzzy. I'm not really sure. I mean, I had this direction. And that's the best you know. So you start heading that direction. But as you're praying, as you're listening, God begins to work and he begins to bring clarity. And I mean, clearer steps. Like, oh, that's not the best. This is the best. And so you need to adjust your plan as you go along, but make sure. So like yesterday, um, it'd probably been about 10 days since I looked at my plan for 2016. And uh, I was starting to feel, you know, like, uh, honestly, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to review that thing. And so uh, I was up early, went out hiking, had a great hike, and then after that, went to Corner Bakery, and uh, it was still like 8.30, right? So my, my day kicks in about noon for, uh, for, for, for Saturday night prep, for getting ready. And so, uh, so it was about 8.30, and, uh, and I just pulled out my, you know, I've got it on my laptop, and just kind of pulled out there and kind of reviewed. I've got nine goals for this year. Some of them are organizational for our church. Some of them are, are personal for my life. Um, some of them are family. They're kind of in the different, these different categories. And some are financial, right? And just kind of looking through, how am I doing? Am I on track? Kind of reviewing, what, why is this, where do I want to reach? Why is it important? Looking over the motivations. Kind of saying, what are the steps I need to take? Am I on track with that? Are there any next steps I need to take? I get done with that time, I'm much more centered. There were already some, I won't mention them, but there were already some that I was beginning to uh, drift on. And it's like, that's right. I need to keep that on the front burner. Why? Because there's so many other things coming at me that are screaming for my attention, that it's so natural to turn your attention away from what's most important to deal with the things that are screaming at you. And if you don't have a way to constantly refocus, then you won't end up making the appropriate trade-offs you need to make to reach your destination. So track your progress. And then number five, and this is for all the high achievers in here. For some of you, this will be a huge step. It'll be like, um, wow, can I really do that? But for the high achievers, you're going to be like, oh, man, I got this down. I'm knocking this out tonight. Uh, within 24 hours, I'm going to have my plan. I got my plan for my life. The eight areas. I'm ready to go. And then you're not only going to come up with the plan, which is awesome, but you're going to like, and I'm going to do it all at once. <laughs> I'm going to fix my marriage. I'm going to fix my family. I'm going to fix my finances. I'm going to switch in jobs. I'm changing banks. I got a new portfolio. Uh, man, I, I am on this thing. And by about Wednesday, you're going to be so burnt out. You're going to go, oh, what's so bad about living by default? That sounds really, that's how most people do it. How bad can it be, right? So here's for you. Now, for some of you, this would be a big challenge to get started. Take Take it one step at a time. So I want to change the metaphor here. I've been using the metaphor of journey. I want to choose the metaphor now of a remodel, all right? 
So let's look at your house, look at your life like a house. So this the Bible often does this. Uh, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds it on the sand. Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, be careful what building, uh, you know, materials you use. If you build gold, uh, hay, and stubble, you know, what, what's going to last? So let's look at your, your life like a house, right? So if you look at your life like a house, probably some rooms of your house are in pretty good shape. Like you might say, our marriage is doing really well. And so, great, let's call that the bedroom, right? Let's call that the, the master bedroom of your life. And that's doing great. Uh, and you might say, and our kids are doing great. So we go, okay, we got kids' rooms in our, our house, and th- those are doing great. But, you know, our finances are really, uh, we're really messed up there. We, we just, we're, we're in debt. Uh, we don't have a plan. Uh, we're not planning for retirement at all. Um, we're spending more than we're making, and it's causing conflict in our, uh, our That room of our house, the, the, fi- the office room, that's not doing well. And we say, hey, the career thing. You know, the career thing, I'm just working way too many. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm neglecting my family. Uh, my health is horrible. I am burnt out. And that room of my life is horrible. Are you with me here? So we got these different rooms. Think of the eight different areas, like different rooms in your house. And, and so the, the reality is, if you're going to remodel an entire house, like it's so cool. On this trip, I went up to San Luis Obispo. I got this Airbnb place. And it was so awesome. It was, it was an older house. It's three three-bedroom uh, kind of two-bath house, not, not a really big, super big house, you know, older part of town, but it had been purchased years ago, like 10 years ago, by the, uh, the, the lady who had been the, the, the chairman of the photography and design department at San Luis, Cal, Cal State San Luis Obispo. And she had remodeled this whole place, and it was incredible. And I, I love it. It was just kind of simple, but beautiful lines and beautiful archways and incredible lighting. It was great because so I was up and off and up in the night for hours and hours on in the middle of the night, kind of thinking through and planning through, and had all these lights I could control at the kitchen table. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, beautiful kitchen over here, beautifully redesigned. It moved into the living room with this nice arch. The whole house was designed together, right? And if you're going to redesign a house, you want to design it at one time. Because the different parts, like the kitchen and the living room and the dining room, they're all together. You want them to look like they fit, right? It's like, this is modern. You know, this is like, you know, traditional. This is French provincial. Like, like who did this? You know, it's like um, some uh, schizophrenic person. But anyway, uh, like you want to design it. And so when you design your life in these eight areas, you want to design it at one time. You might take a month to do this, but you want to design it at one time because if you make a change in your career, it might affect your family. A change in your family affects your time with God. You know, it's like they, they interrelate. But here's the thing. Though you design it at one time the best you can, it doesn't have to be perfect, just do your best. Though you design it at one time, it would be a nightmare when you're remodeling a home, if you're, especially if you're living in it, to redo the whole home at once. It would be crazy, right? Like we did this in our previous house and. I was doing most of the work, and so, like, for six months, our kitchen's torn up, right? Refrigerator's in the living room. Like, well, if we were doing the living room and the bedrooms, too, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been overwhelming. And so here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is such a gracious guide. As you bring your life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and that's why we started with pursue God. You have to understand, if you're not pursuing God as your top priority, then you're on your own. Like, you are planning out a life without the, the leadership of the chief architect of your life. Like, that's just foolish. And so 
But if you're under his leadership and therefore you're listening to him, he's going to give you wisdom. As you seek him and you say, I want to build a life that honors you, would you lead me and guide me? He's going to direct you and you're going to begin to sense this is the area that I need to work on. And you just take it one step at a time. The Holy Spirit is so wise. He rarely works in multiple areas of our life at once. He just kind of picks an area, maybe two, and just begins to focus on that, begins to lead you. As you listen and follow, that area of your life gets redesigned. And once it's redesigned, it becomes a habit. You don't have to think about it. It's just part of your life. It's the way you do life. Now you're able to move on to the next room. The Holy Spirit kind of guides you on. So I want to encourage you, don't try to fix everything at once. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Just pursue God. Listen. Kind of design your life under his leadership. And then you begin to remodel one step at a time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and just this exciting uh, even idea that we can design a life. A life doesn't just have to happen. That You've created us as a race, first king, first queen. You designed us to rule over our creation. And you've each given us a kingdom to rule over. And you call us to manage it well, like all the parables of you going to a long journey. You call us to manage well the resources you've given us in all areas of our life. And so, God, we pray that... uh, as a church, as followers of you, that as we come under your leadership, as we look to you for wisdom, you would truly give us that wisdom, the courage, the perseverance, the guidance to take one step at a time as we, under your leadership, design the life we were created to live. We pray as we bring our offerings now that you would meet us as we worship you in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. God, we just pray. That's our prayer. Is that as we embark on this journey, God, we have taken that first step of pursuing you as our first priority, just to know you and to love you and to please you, to say in all these areas of our life, God, our number one priority is to know you and to please you. And would you, would you speak to us? And then, God, we've taken that second step of listening. So we put our listening ears on, and we're learning to come and listen and follow the word, your voice of your, your spirit through your word to us, direction for our life. And then Today, come where we come to this next very practical step of designing a life. And God, it's big, it's overwhelming. We're just thankful that you walk with us. And as we pray, as we process, that you will give us wisdom. That like the path of the righteous, it will get brighter and brighter uh, as it moves till full day as we continue to follow you. And so God, we pray for wisdom. And I pray right now in this room, there are different, different ones of us that have different rooms in our house that need to be our top priority right now to get fixed. Maybe it's for a marriage, maybe it's our family, maybe it's a career, maybe it's some friendships, or maybe it's uh, finances, or maybe it's our area of calling in life, discovering what that is. But whatever it is, God, we just pray that you would guide us. So we don't try to do this on our own. We're reminded of what your word says, that as we remain in you and abide in you, and you remain in us, that we will bear much fruit. You'll guide us every step of the way. We don't have to take responsibility for this project. We're your responsibility. We're your project. We just need to come under that leadership and listen and follow. So give us wisdom as we do, that we could truly live lives that are masterpieces, lives that you design, and that uh, lives that are not just going with the flow and end up by default. So God, we pray you lead us in the paths of life, and we will praise you for that in your name. We all pray together, and everyone said, amen. Amen, Rocky Peak. That's great. Hey, well, now you've got a plan, and I just encourage you to be seeking God about that, and how are you going to come up with your plan? You know, maybe 
next few weeks or whatever, in some time in the evenings or maybe weekends just to think and pray, look, what's your plan? And if you're married, you know, compare notes on that and, and see what God has for you. But you've got, to, you've got your roadmap now. Now it's up for you to plan your trip. And uh, may the Lord be with you every step of the way as you do that. Uh, I want to remind you that a couple things next week is that uh, we'll continue this journey. And the name of the message is Restore. Really looking forward to that. And so hope you can be there for that as we uh, plan restoration into our design model. A very important piece that we often neglect. Remind you that after our service, we always have a ministry called the Prayer Connection or Prayer Corner. It's over here to the right by the, woods, uh, the wooden uh, wall. And uh, there's people that would love to pray with you about whatever it is. And so if you have something to pray, that maybe you want to pray for your team today, that'd be awesome. Uh, they might need it. My team, my team you have to raise from the dead. It's not going to work. So uh, God bless you guys, and I'll see you next weekend.